Good morning, beautiful family. It is so good to be home. Um, I'm thrilled to be home. It's wonderful to see familiar faces again. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be able to have gone and ministered in New Zealand. We had, to say we had a special time is an understatement. God exploded in my heart in a, in a very, very challenging way. It was a, a fantastic time. And I think, Michael, the reason why you're saying, whoa, it's so quiet, um, <clears throat> we were in a Polynesian church, and they are loud. <laughs> and they eat a lot. And no, not only that, but like, <laughs> they are loud. And, um, and I think that's just like, well, when we were out and about in the streets as well, people were unashamed of the gospel. I honestly, on, on every platform, like you would, we went to a market, uh, two markets on a Saturday morning, and people would have a, um, what are these things? Like a speaker. A speaker. <laughs> and just proclaiming that Jesus saves yeah. with their microphone, just standing there and just telling everybody about the gospel and just how wonderful the Lord is and how much He loves you. I, I, got, I got so drawn in. I just wanted to listen there, and we were like cheering and amen, amen. There were rappers, young kids standing in a, it was almost like as if it was downtown in a band shell. And I just heard this guy goes, Sin is a disease. Sin is a disease. Like this, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and it was going on that people are afraid of cancer. He said, Sin is cancer. Oh, like this. Yeah. And they were jumping up and down. It was a bit too the, much for us, but. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I got, it wasn't at all. Like we were like, oh, yeah, bring it down. Bring it down. Come on. Bring it down. Like bring heaven down here on earth as it is in heaven. Like, Father, we want this passion. And so, yes, I was stirred up. Like we were like bopping around <laughs> this market. People, and it just woke mm. me up. Fantastic. Like, Father, may I not be ashamed to spread yeah. the good news that I may live intentionally. Every breath I take is because of the breath yeah. that you have given me. And I understand we're not all loud. I understand that there are little piccolos. I understand that there are trumpets. There are trombones in the orchestra. But we all have a part to play. Every single one of us has a song. Every time we breathe breath, it's with purpose, because everything that has breath will give praise unto the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So if we're a little bit overboard this morning, I am still titivating. Fantastic. <laughs> I just, one more thing. <laughs> I, shared this with the la- <laughs> I shared this with the ladies the other day. The Lord gave me one word, because I said, Father, speak to me. And he said, Deborah, scintillate. Can you say that? Say that with me. Scintillate. To scintillate, you know when you look at the ocean and the sun is shining on it, it scintillates. It actually is so appealing. It actually draws your eye. When a diamond, when a jeweler looks at a diamond, that sparkle, they don't say, oh, wow, that diamond has sparkle. They say that diamond scintillates. And the reason why it scintillates and the reason why a diamond is faceted is so that it would let the light in and let the light out. And so I just felt the Lord say to me, Deborah, that's all I ask you to do. Nancy, that's all the Lord asks you to do 
You can actually point to yourself or this be really old and charismatic. Point to the person next to you. <laughs> Come on. And say, you scintillate. You scintillate because of the love of Jesus. There's no other reason. It's because of the love of Jesus that just shines forth. Every time you take her breath, you are breathing in the breath of life that God has given you. And therefore, you can scintillate. Amen? Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, Deborah's uh, certainly scintillating today. That's good, man. And uh, we've just had also a lot of good stuff. We have an orphanage in the Congo, and next week we're going to give them time to hear feedback. But I think some of the team is here. Would you like to stand? Let's give them a welcome back. There we are. Join your hand. If you want to know a little bit about our orphanage, uh, uh, go to our website. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to get involved, uh, there's more... Uh, opportunities to go there, and we'll let you know about those too. So it's been a good time. New Zealand was amazing. Um, I'm always humbled and blessed that the way God chooses to use us um, wherever we go. You know, I feel like Paul, uh, not coming with wise and persuasive words or not of noble birth and any of these things, but um, the opportunities that he opens to us are amazing. And um, and it's just overwhelming. We, New Zealand's a, a wonderful country, um, the second best country next to my country, Canada. I'm not a Canadian by birth, but I certainly am one by choice. I love this nation dearly, and thank God that he brought us here in 97 to plant this church. And so um, uh, it was an amazing time, and um, yeah, the outreach and everything was fantastic, and so today, while I was thinking about it and looking at various churches, because what Deborah and my role is, my role in particular, is to help new churches get established. I work with the leadership team, uh, uh, with the vision and values and, and all of those kind of things. Um, preaching on the Sundays is a bonus to me, but working with the teams and encouraging the leaders. If the leaders are strong and the leaders are encouraged, then the church is strong. And uh, it's just a privilege to be able to sit with these sometimes very young men and women that have stuck their hand up and said, we will plant a church and go and help them along the way. And uh, this church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the help of this team that I'm now on, the apostolic team that we have. Uh, just to let you know, everywhere we go, nobody pays to have us there. Nobody has to give us any money to be there. We'll stay in their homes. We'll stay in, uh, uh, sleep on the couch, whatever it is, because we don't want to go to all the churches with all the money. Uh, and that's fantastic that they have got money. They can afford to have other people, but we want to go to the, where the rubber hits the road. And sometimes there's four or five people. Sometimes there's 50, 100, a couple hundred. But we go and... Uh, to encourage and build up the body of Christ. And we couldn't do it without this amazing team we have. And that's all of you, all the volunteers, our eldership team. This church is not built around me or around one leader. This church is built around a team, but it's actually built around Jesus Christ. And you'll see that we can go away for weeks at a time and the church grows. Every time I get back, I met a couple today at the coffee at the back. We, I got there a bit late, it was already away. And, uh, but we're standing there and this is their second week here. And just what a wonderful privilege. 
Many of you we haven't met, so please come to the looking in um, um, time, if anything, just to meet some of the leaders. So what I wanted to speak about is, and this is a huge subject, and I've got a, about, only about two hours left to do it, so <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but um, it's a subject that you could preach on for the rest of your life. Um, if you want to know the church Jesus is building, start in John and finish in Revelation, and uh, you'll find out. But just a few things that uh, I've got plus, um, impressed on my heart. Uh, on my heart. We know that uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. They're still trying to work out who Jesus is. In fact, uh, even after he died, they didn't know whether he's going to be risen from the dead. Thomas didn't believe it. Um, uh, Judas denied him. It was quite a team he had there at that stage. But they're having a conversation in, 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 in Matthew 16, and um, He's walking along the road with them, going to um, uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples this question in uh, verse 13 to 19. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's just an interesting question. And so this was the answer from the disciples. He said, some, re- some replied that some say that you are John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still other say, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Jesus brings it from the crowds and the sum to the individual. And every single one of us will answer this question. We either answer it here and understand who Jesus Christ is and come to know him as his Lord and Savior, or we will uh, stand before him um, when we... After we die. And so it's a question Jesus says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and heaven and earth, under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Savior. But he says, What about you? And that's a question we've got to ask ourselves Who is Jesus to me? And while he's, after he says this, Jesus has this revelation. And he has this revelation, this download from heaven through the Holy Spirit. And he answers, you are the Messiah. Some translations will say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't work this out by yourself, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and the word Peter, Petros, means little rock. And unfortunately, a whole uh, religion has been based around Peter being the rock. But Peter is not the rock. He was a little rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. So what was the rock that Jesus was going to build his church on? It was on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the foundation of the church. And I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amazing thing about keys. There's often doors shut and doors open. And God opens doors no man can shut. And I'm sure it closes doors that we can't open for our own good. 
but doors. Often there's doors that God wants us to go through, and we're bashing against the door, trying to get this, trying to earn it, trying to do it in our own strength, our own ability, and we can bash that door all we like. But if we've got a little key the size, and we stick it in that door, it opens. And the keys to the kingdom, to me, are revelation. He reveals himself to us. He reveals his plans, and he gives us those keys. And that one of the keys was the first key was that, uh, that Peter had was, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So my question today for us is this. If Jesus is building his church, what does the church that Jesus is building look like? What defines the church? We see a lot of traditions, the traditions of man have crept into the church, and a lot of things that actually um, Jesus maybe would not recognize, and maybe some of the things we do uh, too as traditions. But Jesus said this, a few things, and just a few little things I would love you to go and ask this question for yourself and search the scriptures to see if it is true and so on. And if God gives you some revelation, I'd love to hear it from you. And he says this in John 13, 34. This is now at the Last Supper. He's hanging with his disciples. Uh, They still don't know that he's going to be crucified. They break bread together. He washes his feet, their feet, and all of these. Jesus, Jesus, uh, Judas's heart is turned. A whole lot of things going on at the Last Supper, and he says this in John thirteen thirty four, and he tells them basically this in my words that the church that I will build will be defined first and foremost by the agape love of God, by the love of God. It won't be defined by buildings. It won't be defined by meetings. But it will be defined by love. Love for Him, love, His love for us, and our love for each other, our neighbors and the nations. And we can see that because he's at the table, and he says this in John 13, 34 to 35. He says, the new command I give you. The command of love is a high command. Jesus did away with the old covenant, instituted the new covenant. We're no longer under the law, but under grace. And people have taken grace to a point where God never intended it. Grace was never meant for us to see how far we could push God before we fell off the edge. Grace was always intended for us to see how close we can get to Jesus Christ. We come to the throne of grace by grace and through grace, and we receive mercy. Grace enables us to enter the Holy of Holies. Grace is not a license to sin. But I give this to love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. And he says this, and I've underlined this in my Bible, and it says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, as I was thinking about that, there's the church is defined by so many other things, so please hear me out. But the foundation is a love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, 
and love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. The religious said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And this guy is dying on the side of the road, and religion walks past him. The priest, the, the, the Levite, religion walks past him. But the Samaritan stops, and we know the story, bandages up, helps him, pays for the inn, goes and visits him. And he says, well, which one of those were, you, were his neighbor? You see, we love God, and the Romans 5 says, in fact, we cannot love God without God pouring his love into our hearts by his spirit. We cannot earn his love. We cannot achieve his love. If we could earn or achieve the love of God, it would lessen the value. It is priceless. There's no price. It cost him his life. And it says in Romans 5 that God's love is poured into our hearts by his spirit. And so how does he do that? That's why God says, I want you to come into my presence. I want you to spend time with me. Not because he's bored or lonely or got nothing to do, but because he wants to download his love, his mercy, his great into our hearts by his spirit. And the love we, he downloads in us can then leak out of us to others. We cannot give what we don't have. And I tell you, often we're working with an empty love tank. There's nothing there. We've got nothing to give. And we're trying in our own strength. I'm going to try and do no. Give it up. You see, Jesus' love language is simply this. Obedience. If you love me, you will obey me, he said. Now, law will say, well, fall, uh, you fall in love with me by, in your own strength and you will obey me. Grace says, come, let me fill you with my love. Let me give you a revelation of who I am so that you will want to love me. And how many of you know if you love somebody, you want to please them? It's the higher law. It's the law of love. Yes, we sin, but because we love Christ, we come and ask, repent and ask for forgiveness, and God sets us free, and, he, and, and so on and so on. So obedience is part of loving God. And if we go and say, well, today I'm going to put a list of things I'm going to do for God, guarantee you by Monday, if you even make it that far, half of those things you can scratch off. Oh, I haven't done it again. I haven't done it again. Oh, I'm so bad. I can't do this. And, we, and the enemy contains our effectiveness. Instead of coming to the throne of grace, in Hebrews 4, it says, therefore let us come to the throne of grace. We come by grace to the throne and Jesus says this, you'll see, hear this often, because if we don't understand these things, if we don't get a re revelation of these things, and if I'm repeating it over and over, it's because we need to get a revelation of this in our lives. We come to the throne of grace, and we receive mercy. What is mercy? We get what we don't deserve. We deserve, we've blown it. And then what it does and we find more grace to help us in the time of need. It's the daily coming to the presence so it can fill us, our tanks up. Be honest, God, I just cannot love these people. I cannot, cannot do this. Come here, my boy, just spend time. Let me give a revelation of how much I love you, how much I care for you. And all of a sudden, it's like having this warm shower, this liquid. He just washes away all that stuff, and the love tank fills up. 
And we are called to be leaky Christians. We are called to have the love of God flow from us. And if it's going to flow from us, we better have a flow in. And that's what happens when we come to God. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, speaks of a religious people that were doing all the right things, but with no love. He says this, he writes this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. But I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Prophetic Bible school, we need to remember this. I need to. And if I have faith, I can move mountains. But if I not love, I am nothing. I can give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast in myself. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. Those are those, some of the most sobering <laughs> verses to me as a leader and what I'm doing. Say, God, I don't want to do get to heaven. And he says, listen, yeah, you're saved <laughs> by grace through faith and all of this. But what was the point of all of that without love? And we can't love others if we don't fall in love with God. And as we fall in love with God, the amazing thing is we begin to fall in love with ourselves because we see ourselves as God sees us. And if we don't love ourselves, we can't love others. And that's the problem. We're trying in our own strength. It doesn't matter how many times you fall a day. What does matter is where you run when you fall. That's what runs. That's what, what happens. There's two voices, and they're very clear, uh, easy to hear. Very, very clear. The voice of the enemy, when we do something wrong, he trash talks us and wants us to run away, the prodigals. Doesn't mean we have to de- don't have to deal with that. But the voice of the Father, the voice of the Son, the voice of God, the Holy Spirit is come home. Come home. Come home. Come to me. Those are the voices. And when we come back, if it's five times a day and we come to the throne of grace, he gives us more mercy and we find grace. Now let's not forget as I say this that there's no consequence for sin. But we cannot, um, we cannot confuse consequence with forgiveness. If I steal something and run out of a shop with it and I'm caught... There's a consequence. I can say, God, I'm so sorry I did this and so on, and please forgive me. And he says, don't worry, it's forgiven. Then I go before the judge and I say, hey, judge, you know what? I've been forgiven. There's no consequence. He'll look at you. Uh Uh-uh. A year in jail. Oh, God doesn't love me. No, that's a consequence of my actions. And God will help us through those actions, and He'll walk us through those actions, and we will never be alone. Because Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines those He loves. 
And often our discipline is consequence. When there's no consequence, the world goes crazy. No boundaries. He disciplines those he loves. The difference between discipline and punishment, and often leaders do not know the difference, even pastors, is that discipline is always redemptive. The purpose that God lets us go through that is so that we can learn a lesson and be a better person. Punishment, not always redemptive. Redemptive. So when we discipline, our hearts, our children, anybody, when we discipline anyway, let's search our heart and say, Lord God, I want to do this in a godly way. Yes, that there is some kind of consequence, but that, the, that there's a purpose for it. And that purpose is for that person to learn and grow through it, not because I'm angry and I don't like them, and so on. I wish I'd learned this many years ago myself. You see, in Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, Paul reminds us that we're to speak the truth, but we're to speak it in love. Truth can kill people. But truth that is laid on a foundation of love can hold the weight of that relationship. People know, need to know that we love them, that we care for them before we challenge them. I don't let anybody, as a pastor, I just confess this, many people work, uh, have positive, negative things to say about me over the years, and many about you too, I'm sure it comes. I'm not, uh, it's just part of what we do for sure. But I don't let anybody speak directionally into my life or take discipline from anybody that I don't know that cares and loves for me. And so why should people take it from us in the world? Don't let people, don't, don't even let those words settle in your heart and your mind if they're not spoken in love. Because love is redemptive. And you can say, you know, yeah, you, you really messed up badly, but here, yeah, I'm going to help you. Let's work this through together. Isn't that the better way? The higher way? You see, the church Jesus is building is also a church called and commissioned by Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples in love. So love's the foundation. And Jesus said this in Matthew 28. So these are just some highlights that I'm going to give you. You can work through them. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. In Mark 16, 15, Mark's account of the Great Commission. He commissions his disciples with these worlds to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 
Preaching the gospel to all creation is a whole nother subject. To me, that speaks of stewarding the earth well. To me, that speaks of looking after. If, if I gave my children a garden, gave bought them a home, which I haven't, and it's got a beautiful garden and a vineyard and all of that, and they say, thanks, Dad, and I come back a year later and it's just wheezed and broken down, I'm going to be pretty choked. So we do have a responsibility in that way. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is for man. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will, not be, will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, how many are believers today? Have we got some believers here? Okay. This is for you. You will cast out demons. We, we're longing for the Holy Spirit to move in power. We are a church that wants to see a, a revival and a move of God that impacts not only our church, but the city and the nations. We love God the Holy Spirit. We love God the Son and God the Father. We love all of them. And we want everything that they can give us for this church. And often, interesting that wherever Jesus went, off most places, demons fleed. And the religious people will say, well, he's of Beelzebub, he's of the devil, because demons were fleeing. Why would demons flee from their mates? Demons fleed because these dark things were exposed to the light of the world. And we want to see people set free. So I want to see some demons cast out of people that need it. You go to Africa, it's awesome. It's awesome. They're so used to the supernatural. When they find Jesus, they want to get rid of that stuff. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And after Jesus said this, he was taken up into heaven. Interesting that when the team was in Congo, I was in New Zealand, I heard on the news that uh, Ebola had broken out in Congo. And I was praying for the team. I saw it on the news. They come back happy and well. Wasn't in that area. So drinking poison in that is not to test God. Don't go home and get some drain on drink it. These are here for our divine protection. When we go somewhere and the food is not good and that, that we can pray and say, God, that this will not harm me. These are the blessings, the covenant blessings of Psalm 91, the Psalm of Protection. And I'm so pleased that they came back healthy and well. Can we give God a hand for that? You see, Jesus says this, and the next in Mark it says, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed the words of science that accompanied it. 
In Acts chapter 10, Peter has given an account to Cornelius, the first Christian convert. This is ground zero of Gentile Christianity. A house in a Roman, Roman centurion's, in, a, in the home of a Roman centurion. And he says this to Cornelius. Now I want you to see something here. It says, you know, you know, you know. And I just picked that up yesterday. How did Cornelius know? Well, he was a Roman centurion in the area. He would have met, met so he knew Jesus. He's talk of this in Jesus. He was there. Maybe he, was, he witnessed the crucifixion. I don't know, because Peter t- speaks to him, not we know, you know. And this is what he says. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord of all. You know what happened throughout the province of Ju- Judea. Now, if he hadn't, didn't know that, the Bible would have put, because the Bible is all truth, he, and, and Cornelius said, I didn't know a thing. Now he says, Cornelius, you knew this. This is proof that Jesus did this. This first gentle Christian was observing Jesus before he was saved. Beginning in Galilee, after the baptism, John preached. Right back to the baptism. How God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power. Cornelius, you know this. He must have seen some of the miracles of Jesus and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. Cornelius never denied one of those things. And in fact, this remembrance of what Jesus did and Peter's preaching, him and his household got saved, and now there's over a billion people. I'm sure Cornelius is sitting in heaven saying, wow, wow, wow. Isn't that amazing? You see, he went about doing good and bringing healing and deliverance to all around him. You see, and this is what I get to because this is what the church was never intended to be. So I'm going around like a big, big circle here. The church was never intended to be a series of religious events or meetings, but a lifestyle. Now we are to meet, so don't please all run out the door now. But I want you to get Church is not an event. Worship is not a Sunday event. It's a lifestyle. And we need to look at this. Because we are good at compartmentally in our lives without even knowing it. I do the church thing on Sunday. I do the prayer thing on this night. I do the home group thing on this night. And that's all things that we should do. Hebrews uh, 12 says, let us not neglect the gathering of the saints. So I'm not saying we don't do this, but this has to, there has to be a, for, a purpose greater than this for why we do what we do. And that's what I want to speak a little bit about. You see, thinking about this, I truly don't believe that the enemy is afraid, even if God comes in power and does mighty things in this, in this building, in this gymnasium, and us doing our worship thing, 
if what we do is all about simply gathering and not going. Our vision statement is this. Simply this. You'll hear it over there. To know Jesus and to make him known. And our mandate, it's all there on our website, is to be a gathering, healing, training, sending church. And that's what we're building. And that's what we want to be. We want people to come along. We want to see them get to know Jesus, not know of Jesus. How many of you know Jesus? Uh, John knew Jesus better than anybody else on earth. The disciple Jesus loved. He knew of earthly Jesus, but he had no idea of who exalted Jesus was until he had a revelation on the Isle of Patmos. Instead of this gentle Jesus, meek and mild, instead of Jesus, my best friend, instead of Jesus, that, he sees this revelation of the exalted Christ. Go and read it, Revelation, and he falls at his feet as if dead. It was so big. And Jesus picks him up and he comforts him and encourages him and says, write this letter to the churches. You see, many people know of Jesus, but we know, do we know him? Paul himself, a man that went to the third heaven, to heaven itself, and got this download of revelation from God, this revelation of salvation by faith through grace, grace this revelation that Luther got a download of. He, he got this and he wrote the Gospels. Not from, nobody taught him that. That was a download from heaven. And in, in Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him more and I want to know him more, and I know I want to know him more. Because Ephesians 1 says that there's this incomparably great power for the church, for us who believe. And that power is like the working of his mighty hand that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We know all of that. But many churches have become gathering places, and many believers have become unbelieving believers. Because it's those who believe that will see the power and the anointing. And it's very easy to negate the, the, the miracles and that and say we don't believe it. But do you know what? Guess what? And I said this to a pastor once. He had a sensational theology. You get what you believe. I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in that. Well, that's what you're going to get. But we are believers. We want to be believing believers. We want to see people. We don't want to see Tristans going through three years of chemo, and we thank God for them. My wife has had two liver transplants because of a parasite. She got on mission work in, in Malaysia with me. I took her there. We want to see people healed. We want to see people set free from demonic oppression. We want to see marriages, life healed by the power of the Spirit. We want to see the Holy Spirit do what a hundred hours of counseling can't do. And counseling is important. Doctors are important. Luke, interesting. Don't throw away your medication. Luke, interesting, was a doctor. 
And who did Luke travel with? Paul. What do you think Luke was doing when Paul was beat up and bleeding and left for dead? Doctoring him. Not sitting, oh, no, I don't, I'm going to just, you know, I don't do that anymore. We need them. It's not either or. It's everything. I can imagine Paul sitting there and cleaning those wounds. I have this imagination. I try and put myself in the New Testament. Why would God put a doctor with Paul? Because he needed one. And because he, so he didn't die of disease or infection. You see, I don't believe he's afraid if we stay in, these, in the buildings and come to church once a week or twice a week or five times a week. Or if revival breaks down, we're in church so often we don't spread the revival. His plan is to contain the enemy effectiveness of the church within the walls for a few hours a week. But he is very afraid of a people who have been trained, equipped, discipled, through the preaching and teaching of the word, through the worship, through the gathering of the saints, to do works of service, to take what they have here and spread it to the neighbors and the nations. You see, Acts 10, I wanted to get back to that. Jesus went about doing good. When you are wenting about or going about, Let's try and be more intentional of what we're doing. Where shall I go? Just go about. What shall I do? Do good. Cup of water. A coat for a cold person. A coffee for the lonely. A mower lawn. We're going to have this evangelist next year. I met him in New Zealand. He is amazing. Dreadlocks down here, that all of just crazy. But I've never met anybody for a long time so in love with Jesus. And we're sharing testimonies of how God used him, and he's going to come to Oceanside. And we invited him to come. And he was at the same conference that I was, and we were chatting in between sessions and so on. And while we were all having our, se- our coffees, in the sessions and hanging out all day with our mates and preaching to each other and teaching each other and all of that wonderful stuff. He went, it was next to a mall, he went into the mall and said, Jesus, give me somebody that I can share to today. He never ever goes to sleep a day without asking that and doing that. So I was in the mall, he's telling me, and there's a, he walks past this bank, and there's a, lady, a teller there, and God says, I want you to speak to her. Well, there's 15 people in line trying to see her. So he joins the line. Waits. Gets to the front. And she says, how can I help you? He said, ma'am, I just felt God want me to tell you that Jesus absolutely loves and adores you. That he died for you. And she said, you've stood in that line all the time to tell me that? 
You don't want any money or anything? He said, well, if you've got some, I'll have it. But <laughs> he's a funny guy. He said, no. Tears. Thank you. Walked out that place. So crazy, there was an uh, uh, Emirates aircraft. And I'll show you maybe a video of this he showed me. Somebody videoed you. Felt God says, share the gospel. 90% Muslim. So I said in there, well, what the heck? There's no way they can go. <laughs> and they're not doing anything anyway. He gets up there and he tells all of these guys about the love of Jesus for them. And I was just undone sitting to, listening to this guy. And I felt God, I, I want to be intentional every day. And I had an opportunity to go to a, a shop with, uh, Brian was with me and one other guy. There was this Maori guy sitting on a bench there with his head down outside the mall, not begging, not anything. And we walked, I came back, I said, hey, are you okay? And he says, um, no, not really. I just said, do you? I just want you to know Jesus loves you. He welled up. So easy. So easy. I've forgotten. I've forgotten. You see, the church had sucked me into this thing. Oceanside. The church I lead. And I forgot about what it's all about. And what Deborah's talking about, I want to see a change in my life. And hopefully in ours, a cup of water in my name, a visit. So easy. So easy. A few more scriptures. I just want to finish. Paul tells us in Colossians 4, 5 to 6 that we are to be wise. Listen to this. In the way we act towards outsiders and we are to make every opportunity write the scripture down for yourself Colossians 4, 5 to 6 make most of every opportunity let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone that I want on my fridge, on my mirror, but more than that, I want it in my heart. Make the most of every opportunity. You see, Jesus talks about salt and light. We're the salt of the earth, the light and shine, and he says it's through our good deeds. But why salt? We know what light is. Why salt? I was thinking about that. Because the right amount of salt brings out the best in food, brings out the flavor, brings out the flavor. That little salt that we put in this, they can see the flavor in, the, in their life and all of this. It brings it out. But too much salt kills. And sometimes I was thinking this, and I think, I wonder how many unbelievers have been assaulted by Christians. A salted. 
Turn or burn, bro. Do you want to be like me? The guy's thinking, absolutely not. <laughs> He's going like this. A little bit of salt, a little bit of flavor, a little bit. Bring that out. Draw that out of the person. Don't dump the whole lot in, on, on top of him. Matthew 5, uh, 13 to 16. And how, how do we bring out the flavor in people? By loving people in word and deed. We cannot have the one without the other. James says, what good is it if you see a brother who is hungry and you don't feed him? Or somebody without a coat and don't give. What is the use of that? If you say, go, be blessed, my brother, I'll pray for you. What is the good of that? These amazing guys that had this revelation of faith accompanied by good works that brings freedom. Proverbs 11.30 in the NLT, I think it's the NRV we got there. Listen to this. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. Isn't that the whole salvation story? The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. That could be a good, good song, eh? A wise person, some translations say souls, but the NLT says a wise person wins friends. You see, this greatest threat to the kingdom, like I said, is not us gathering for the sake of gathering, but is the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers, a people who not only gather but go, a people who are equipped, empowered, encouraged by the body of Christ to simply uh, go into their mission field and share salt and light. So where's my mission field? You see... It's easier for us to go on mission to Congo, for me to go on mission to, to New Zealand, than to be missional at home. But the interesting thing, in Acts 17, Paul said that God, and, and Mars Hill, I think it's Acts 17, says, God determines the exact time and place we should live so that through us men will reach out to him. So God has determined us here and our first mission field is here. And yes, it's to the uttermost parts of the world. But why is it that when we go on mission, we are more wrapped up and more excited about the gospel than our mission field here? And I'm speaking about myself. Because the enemy wants to contain us. And I was in New Zealand last year. And I stayed with this couple, Jack and Sarah. Most amazing. Brandon stayed with me till we had a good time. And I'm born in Zimbabwe. Yeah, thank you, somebody like that. <laughs> ah, there's my, my sister. And um, the reason I'm telling you that is because Jack was telling you about his neighbor whose name was Mike and was also born in Zimbabwe. So I said, 
that would be great if you can meet in all of that. So I said, well, tell me a little about him. He says, yeah, his wife has started coming to church, but he's totally out of control, hates church, wants nothing to do with church and all of that. And I've been helping. He's been working away. And Jack and Sarah retired. When he was working away, went and started helping her with the children. Be like grandparents to these. And Byron and no grandparents there. And they just would help her, just as good neighbors. And that's how she came into the church. And he liked them, but he didn't want anything to do with the church. So last year he said, well, I was doing a men's breakfast outreach. And he said, I'm going to invite him to that. So I did. And the guy said, no, he's not coming. And he didn't come. So I left back in New Zealand again, asked to do another men's breakfast and um, at the same church outreach event, and I was having dinner with Jack and a few of the guys, Brian Sandini was there, and I said, Jack, tell me, how's Mike doing? He says, oh, geez, man, he's still, you know, he's, he's having issues. So I said... Invite him tomorrow morning. I just thought, why don't you invite him again? He said, I've invited him lots of times. He's never responded. I said, just tell him Mike from Zimbabwe is here, and he wants to meet, meet Mike from Zimbabwe, <laughs> other side of the world. So he phoned him when he got home, 9, 10 o'clock. We had had a meal, had some fun, and uh, he speaks to Mike, and Mike says, oh, no, unfortunately, I'm busy tomorrow. So puts the phone down. So that night, I was praying, and I was convinced that he was going to come. And I was convinced that he was going to get saved. I just had that in my heart. So I was praying for him. And um, so Jack, he tells Jack, no. Jack's driving out the driveway with Brian in the car, the guy standing in the driveway. He said, I think I'll come to that thing. I saw him there, and it changed my whole life. Because there's nothing better than knowing there's somebody and he's Jesus Christ, the, the whole context. Shared a bit, preached the gospel, and so on. And he was sitting there. I wasn't looking at him. Jack pointed him out to me. Afterwards, he comes to the front, sobbing, crying, crying, crying. A broken man. Grew up in a very religious household. Beaten, all this stuff. Turned him away from God. Interesting, that was my, my life before. It's amazing how close we were. And I started sharing some of that while he was sitting there, not even knowing how God turned my life around. Prayed with him. Going away crying still, tears of joy. At church the next morning, never been to church, third row, where Bill and Amy standing there, still crying. Preach again. Comes up to me, says, man, I can't stop crying. I said, God, it's just all that pressure. It's just letting it go, man. It's letting it go. He says, I feel that. Feel that. Went on Monday, went and bought him a Bible, went to his house. Got this Bible, and he said, you know, today I was thinking, I don't even have a Bible. Not a big deal. It wasn't expensive. I just went past a bookstore and it had a Bible in it. It wasn't like even something very profound. I said, let me, let me buy him a Bible. Held this thing. 
I haven't spoken to Jack yet, but if that's all I went to New Zealand for, I felt after that, of everything that happened there, there was nothing like seeing somebody radically, radically trans. His wife came on a Sunday. It was quite embarrassing because I didn't know who she was, you know. I saw her there, and she came, and she just smothered me like this. Thank you, thank you, crying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, like this. I knew who she was. And um, she said, man, changed man. Who started that? Obviously, God was involved. Jack and Sarah. Not me. They looked after their grandkids. They, they looked after the house because he was away and he was worried about his children. Nothing big deal. They looked after the dog. It could be mowing a neighbor's lawn. It could be an old person next to you that's got snow and can't move it in winter and you go and take a shovel. You see, Paul said this, I planted the seed. Jack and Sarah, through their good deeds, as we saw in planted seed. I was their polis. I watered that seed. I did nothing, really, just share. The Holy Spirit moved, and God planted that tree and made it grow, an oak of righteousness. If we can just get this, church, in this city, one Try one a week. Try one a day. God, who can I just reach out to? And if they reject us, we're not in Saudi Arabia. Rejection there is a whole bigger deal for Christians. We just thank God and pray for that person. I want us to be known. I was thinking of this. Sorry, I'm a bit over time. And I'll finish with this. If Oceanside, and it's growing, and I love it, and we need this. If Oceanside closed down, would the city know the difference? And Oceanside's not a building. Would the city miss us? And I want us to get to a place where, man, if God does move us on, wow, they did us good. They went about doing good. Jesus went about doing good. Can all we, we all start with that? Amen. Thank you. Can we? Thank you. If we can close our, um, bow our heads. Just really, um, obviously, we want to pray. I, I really felt to add something to something Mike was sharing. I was at a work conference, and I was really challenged by mm. a comment that somebody said, and it was a quote, and they said, I shouldn't read about your values. I should experience them. And we started this morning in prayer, and the main scripture that came this morning, and I don't have Mike's notes, and none of us did, but the main scripture was this, that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love wow. one another. And that's and where was, we started this morning. I wasn't at the, uh, at the prayer time because of jet lag, so I didn't even know that. So I just, I really felt that actually for us as believers, yeah. people shouldn't just hear about our love for Jesus. They shouldn't just read about our love for Jesus. They should experience our love for Jesus. And as we pray, I just feel even as we do it, maybe we could just stand. And as a body, let's stand and I'll lead us in prayer that we be a people 
that allow the love of Christ to flow through us so people experience it. Because this is Jesus. This is how he wants us to work. So Father, we stand before you humbled. We stand before you as just people, as your vessels. And Lord, as we hear this word, the significance of love for what you've done, Jesus, we want to be a people that others experience your love through. We want to be your hands and feet. Father, we trust and we know that it's by the works that you want to do through us, but God, they have to be works that are rooted and grounded in love. And as a body, God, we stand before you saying, come and work through us in love. Soften our hearts where they need to be softened. Lord, may we see people the way you see them. May our hearts break for the lost. May we see those that we need to reach out for in love. We thank you, God, that we don't do it in our own strength, that you give us Holy Spirit. And we want to be a people attentive to you, to reach this city and to reach those that don't know you. Just thank you, Jesus, for the privilege. What a privilege it is. We honor you today. We glorify you. We say it's all about you, Jesus. It's about you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. It's so good to have you with us here this morning. Just a couple of quick things. Um, one of the things, just as Mike was ministering, if you heard, he mentioned that um, he said Paul wrote the epistles and what he was referencing, uh, the, sorry, the gospels, but what he was referencing is that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. So just wanted to highlight that. And then if you are here and can stick around, we have coffee in the back. We'd love to meet with you. If you are